Welcome to Across Acoustics, the official podcast of the Acoustical Society of America's Publications Office. On this podcast, we will highlight research from our four publications, the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America, also known as JAZA, JAZA Express Letters, Proceedings of Meetings on Acoustics, also known as POMA, and Acoustics Today. I'm your host, Kat Setzer, Editorial Associate for the ASA. Joining me today is Michael Dana of the German Museum of the Seas. Dr. Dana is a co-author on the article, 3D Visualization of the Ear Morphology of Penguins, Sveniskidae, Implications for Hearing Abilities in Air and Underwater, which appeared in the 37th volume of Proceedings of Meetings on Acoustics and is based on a talk given at the 5th International Conference on the Effects of Noise on Aquatic Life. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today, Michael. How are you doing? I'm fine. Um, first, can you just give us a little bit of background about yourself and your research? Yes. So I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I, I do have a mixed ex- education. So I started out being an engineer for uh, agriculture and, and also environmental protection. Um, and then I graduated as a, a PhD in zoology uh, about the use of acoustic methods for the protection of harbor porpoises in German waters. And I'm sort of a bioacoustician, but now I'm curator of marine mammals. So I'm doing a lot of collection-based research, uh, especially on bones, on heart tissues uh, of harbor porpoises and seals, for instance. But I'm also taking care of dissections. So we dissect marine mammals uh, in uh, two weeks' terms and uh, see what they died of. Oh, that's really interesting. Really cool. Um so what was known about penguins' hearing before this study? So actually, there was not a lot known about penguin hearing uh, before the study. There was actually one study that looked at uh, the vocalizations of uh, penguins, looked at the frequency ranges uh, where the penguins vocalized in, and th- uh, sort of concluded from that where their hearing range might be best. Uh, and then there was one study on cortical vote potential, uh, so that was actually done in the 70s, um, and it, it was sort of uh, only done on one species and only in air. So it was not the underwater mm. hearing abilities that were analyzed, but only the in-air hearing of uh, the so-called jackass penguins or African penguins. And then there was some papers about the middle ear morphology of penguins, uh, but otherwise it was uh, uncharted territory. Okay. So why did you decide to study uh, penguins' ear morphology? So first of all, it's the basis of hearing research to look at the morphology of the inner ear, uh, the middle ear and the outer ear. Um, but but then there are some specialities about uh, penguins. One is, of course, that they are semi-aquatic species. So they do dive in the seas quite uh, to some depths of about 500 meters. Um, and but they also spend a lot of their time in air uh, breeding and taking care of the chicks um, and also rearing their youngs. Uh, so it's uh, quite an interesting species to look at. And there, there is another speciality. So uh, at the Deutsches Meeresmuseum, the German Museum of the Seas, uh, we do have penguins on the roof of the Oceanium, which is one of our exhibition sites. Um, and those Humboldt penguins, 
uh, are one basis for our hearing research at, at the moment because they are trained for in-ear hearing tests. That's so fun. Um, so what methods did you use for the study of the morphology of penguins' ears? Can you detail how iodine staining works? So, um, yes, what we did was uh, to look at micro-CTs of penguin ears. Um, and penguin ears are quite small, but they do sit in quite large skulls. So actually mm -hmm. having a micro-CT in the size uh, of a penguin skull was not easy to find. So we worked together with the Museum of Natural History in Berlin. And uh, they have a very fancy machine uh, that can hold dinosaur bones and, and can micro-CT those dinosaur bones. And uh, we used that machine uh, for doing the, the micro-CT scans. Uh, and for the micro-CT scans, we... And CT is, is, of course, a methodology where you use... Uh, uh, X-ray images and you stack them and then you look at um, sort of portions of uh, different tissues. So you can outline a bone, which you call a segmentation, mm -hmm. and then you go through the stack of pictures and therefore you then have 3D representation of the individual bones or the tissues. Um, so uh, for the tissues, it's actually quite uh, difficult to, to get those tissues um, to, to be very well visible and therefore you use a so-called iodide staining, potassium iodine staining technique and uh, mm -hmm. within this method you, you actually um, try to get as much iodine into the tissue and the more iodine is in, in the tissue it um, then changes uh, the density um, or the uh, radio densities of the different tissues. Mm. And therefore you will have, uh, with more iodine in the tissue, you will have better uh, reflectivity or a better visibility of the tissue. And therefore then you have different contrasts between the different tissues. So some tissues absorb the iodine very quickly, others do not. Uh, and that uh, enhances the contrast of each of the pictures and then the segmentations in the end. Okay. Um, so what did you end up finding out about penguins' outer ears? So actually the outer ear of penguins is quite similar to other birds. Um, it's round to elliptic. This pathway is air-filled. Um, the interesting thing about it was that there were no muscles that were circular. Um, but uh, penguins must have some mechanism to open or close uh, this otis externa, uh, the outer ear. And we don't know yet exactly how hmm. that is working. Okay. Hmm. And then what did you find out about the penguins' middle ears? So the middle ears, um, they start out with the tympanic membrane and that attaches to the cranium and most probably mm -hmm. also to the, to the quadrate, um, which is a small bone that is attached to the lower jaw. Um, and mm. on the tympanic membrane sits the columella, um, which is actually the single ossicle, the single um, um, ear bone and mm. uh, as most of you know um, there are three ossicles in uh, human ears or in mm -hmm. um, mammal ears in general which is the malus, the hammer, 
the incus, the anvil, the starbus, the stirrup. But uh, those three bones are completely replaced in birds and also in reptiles by the columella, which is a relatively long elongated bone. And it has then a low foot plate um, and uh, this attaches to the uh, oval window uh, to the inner ear. Um, you, you can calculate ratios between the tympanic footplate uh, area uh, towards the um, or within the footplate area towards the tympanic membrane area, um, mm -hmm. and actually you see that um, the penguins are uh, on the lower end of the range for birds, um, so not not too obviously. Uh, an adaptation, uh, but we'll come to that probably later on a little bit more. Um, the tympanic cavity is air-filled, um, and therefore penguins need to have some sort of adaptation towards diving. So um, when they dive down deep, they have to protect their tympanic membrane from rupturing, uh, and therefore okay. there needs to be some uh, mechanism for pressuring or adapting the pressure within the middle ear cavities uh, to the outside pressure. Um, and then we found that the ears are not connected via a functional interaural pathway. Okay. Um, so then I guess that leads us into our next question, that, which is, um, so what did you find out about penguins' inner ears? <laughs> So, so for the inner ears, um, the, the cochlea of uh, birds looks a little bit different from the one in mammals. Uh, so for mammals, we always see this very, um, yeah, very round circular shape. Uh, but uh, bird ears look a little bit elongated. Um, they don't have this sort of uh, curvature, curvature to it. Um, and uh, actually the cochlea and the labyrinth look very similar in the species um, and we couldn't look into the uh, soft tissues uh, of the inner ears because uh, during the uh, fixation of the material often there is a degradation of the tissues and therefore um, then you um, cannot use the staining too much to get the contrast and then you don't see the tissues in to the degree that you need to to mm -hmm. actually differentiate which tissue is doing what and since these uh, structures are also very filigree um, it means um, that we cannot say much about the inner ear in general okay um so how do the structural features of penguins ears affect their hearing in and out of water so, um, as I said before, the tympanic membrane and the columella must be protected during dives. And, and since the columella is a very thin and long bone, uh, it must be protected from breaking, um, which is, uh, which, which should not happen. Um, but, but then the tympanic membrane must adapt, um, towards the pressure. And this means that the pressurization of the middle ear uh, needs to be somewhat realized. Uh, there also needs to be the um, protection from uh, seawater that is coming into the outer ear um, mm -hmm. because that may affect the hearing abilities. Um, and then what uh, we, we also found was that the columella and the area of the eardrum um, actually, they, they are thought to uh, be a mechanism of amplification of the signal. 
So uh, mm. if it is on the lower end of this range, it means that the amplification is probably um, very large uh, compared to other birds. Um, but uh, we we have to look further into it, whether um, how actually this protection of the middle ear is realized. Okay. So how did the iodine staining you used for part of the study impact the results? Can you break down the differences in the pre-staining and post-staining scans? Yeah, so so actually there were quite a lot of uh, scans in between. Uh, and the scan, uh, the, the staining uh, took from uh, some days to weeks uh, to nearly half a year. So it's rather a long procedure so that the um, potassium iodine staining uh, is penetrating all the different tissues. Um, and if you do a scan at the beginning, which we did, um, then you actually see that all those tissues are similar gray tones. Um, and then with increasing uh, staining, you see that the contrast is much more uh, uh, easy to differentiate the different tissues. And then you can actually see in the end very thin membranes even. Um, but unfortunately, the, the staining was not working all that well uh, for all of the tissues. So, for instance, for the extra columella, which is a uh, cartilage, um, it didn't work that well. And for the membranes of the inner ear, uh, it also didn't uh, work that well, as I said before. And this may be to issues arising from the conservation status. So, uh, those birds that we have used... Um, within uh, the study were collected quite long ago and they were mm. fixated in different mm -hmm. uh, different solutions. So, for instance, the fo uh, formalin uh, fixated uh, animals, they had to be the, the formol had to be replaced by alcohol first mm. and then you could use uh, the staining on the material. So um, it's rather a long procedure. And so the, the fresher the material is when it was collected, the better the fixation worked at the beginning and uh, the less formalin was used, uh, the better actually the results became of the study. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so how are penguins' ears set up to prevent water from penetrating the external ear canal and interfering with hearing? So what I said before was uh, that they we did not find any circular muscles. And circular muscles would be used to actually uh, close the ear canal directly uh, and then prevent seawater from entering. Um, so this is not feasible for the penguins. Uh, we didn't see any passive mechanism like curvature. Um, which would uh, start to by by a pressure gradient to close mm. the the outer ear. Um, so what we think might be feasible is that some muscles pull the auditory meters to a slit, um, and then there are also feathers covering uh, the outer ear. Um, so it might be a very simple mechanism uh, that prevents the seawater from entering, uh, mm. but it's not. 100% uh, clear from what we have found within the study and must also say that uh, micro CT scans are not the perfect uh, methodology to, to look into uh, different tissues of different types. Uh, sometimes histology okay. is helping much more uh, and therefore there needs to be more, uh, more studies on that. Um, I must say that histology is also intrusive, so uh, you cannot 
mm. use the material twice and those uh, birds in those collections they are something uh, that needs to be kept in a very good state so actually micro ct is, has some very good advantages in conserving the material in the same state as it is so you you must find a, a good way in between um getting the best results for your study and uh, preserving the material to the best degree. Ah, okay. I see. Um, so how are penguins ears adapted for diving rapidly into deep water? So this is still a very hard question to answer. There, there have been studies about it, um, especially on king penguins. And for mm -hmm. the king penguins, um, it was found in histology um, that they have a so-called corpus cavernosum in the middle ear, which is a thin, uh, very venous tissue. And it's, it's mm -hmm. thought to be flooded with blood um, during the time when they dive. So by mm -hmm. um, getting uh, this venous tissue, it, it will inflate the material and therefore mm -hmm. uh, decrease the, the room available to any uh, uh, air-filled cavities within the middle ear. And therefore, this is a pressure equalization mechanism. Um, but but the interesting thing was that we did found it uh, in the emperor penguins. We, we did also have scans of uh, uh, rockhopper penguins and gentoo uh, mm -hmm. penguins. And uh, within those two, uh, we didn't find uh, those adaptations. So there must be something else uh, that is working for other penguin species who also dive quite deep. So uh, king penguins and, and emperor penguins, emperor penguins can dive down to about 500 meters. Mm -hmm. But some of the other species can even di dive down also to 200 meters. So there must be some other mechanism that is preventing the tympanic membrane from rupturing. Uh, during those dives and those are very rapid dives so they really go down with one mm -hmm. uh, very fast motion um, and then we also found that the interaural pathway was lost and the interaural pathway is an air-filled uh, cavity that is connecting the two middle ears and would mm -hmm. uh, lead to a pressure, pressure equalization between the mm -hmm. middle ears um, but uh, it is also thought to be a mechanism for directional hearing in air. And it might mm. be very, uh, or it might become clearer over time, but it seems that uh, diving species in general have lost the interaural pathway over time. And so it might be an adaptation uh, to underwater sounds. And that actually, um, that directional hearing underwater works differently than in air. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so do any of the morphological traits of penguins' ears relate to those found in the ears of other vertebrates that can hear underwater? So um, actually those those ears that of the penguins that we found um, or that we looked at are similar to, to other bird species. Um, but um, in other vertebrate species, the ear has also developed to have tympanic ears. Um, and it seems like many marine animals, like whales, for instance, uh, they have lost this interaural connection. But for whales especially, um, it is also so that the ear is not connected, or the middle ear and the inner ear, to be specific, is not connected anymore uh, to the mm. bones of the lower jaw. So, mm. so there are more adaptations uh, 
within the animals um, that are purely aquatic species and therefore have adapted to live purely in in the water um, and in comparison to other species that are semi-aquatic and therefore have to keep their in-ear hearing intact. Oh, okay. Um, so what is the quadrate and how does its relationship to the tympanic membrane affect penguins hearing? So the quadrate is a very small bone um, and it's directly connecting to the tympanic membrane. Therefore, it can actually put pressure onto the tympanic membrane or release pressure from the tympanic membrane. Mm -hmm. And it's directly connected to the lower jaw of the animal. So it is thought that uh, actually by moving the lower jaw, uh, the pressurization of the tympanic membrane can be released a bit or uh, stressed a bit. And okay. uh, this may affect hearing uh, capabilities in general. Well, that's very cool. Um, so then how does this research tie into your larger research projects currently? So uh, the research that we did here uh, was within the project Hearing in Penguins. And Hearing in Penguins is a rather large project where we are cooperating mm -hmm. with uh, institutions like the University of Southern Denmark uh, in Odense, uh, the Zoo Odense, uh, the Marine Science Center in Rostock, and the uh, Natural History Museum of Germany in Berlin. Um, and so it is rather an international collaboration within that project. Uh, we are training penguins for in-air hearing tests at the Oceaneum, which I said before. Um, but, but we also do a large part public outreach. We train penguins in Zoo Odense. Uh, those are gentle penguins and rockhoppers and uh, king penguins uh, for in-air hearing tests, but also for playback studies. Um, we look into the ear morphology, which we are talking today about. Um, mm -hmm. And then we also uh, look into the use of auditory evoked potentials for estimating hearing thresholds of uh, the birds. And um, this is a methodology which is used, for instance, in, in newborn uh, humans and um, mm -hmm. Well, there you, you get a little electrode onto the forehead. Uh, usually uh, it's three electrodes. And uh, um, then you are being uh, exposed to a number of sounds which are repeated over time. And then uh, some electronic equipment looks into uh, what the auditory evoked potentials that you can get from the skull um, mm. are actually reacting towards the sound that are repeatedly transmitted. Um, and then we, if you find those reactions, then you think that the sound was heard. Um, oh, okay. So this is a very non-intrusive methodology, um, and it can be used uh, on a larger range of species. So our penguins, for instance, are also trained to wear a hood. Um, and mm. then uh, the electrodes are put on the scalp. They are not penetrating the, the surface. And we try to, to get uh, hearing uh, capabilities from those animals as well uh, with these non-invasive methodologies. So within the project, we do a lot of educational um, outreach activities uh, about noise at sea. Noise at sea is a problem that is very... Um, difficult to be transmitted to the general public. 
And it seems to be something that is very unrelated to us as humans. Uh, it seems to be something that is happening somewhere far away where we cannot hear, uh, where we mm -hmm. cannot see, and where we don't see the effects of underwater noise. Um, but there are a number of different sound sources at sea. There's, uh, for instance, explosions. Um, in, in Germany, we are talking about the removal of uh, World War II ammunition at sea, um, which will cause explosions at some times. Um, but, but there's also explosions for clearing the way for uh, mm. building activities at sea. There's uh, pile driving for offshore wind farms, which is creating a lot of noise. There's seismic surveys uh, that can create a whole lot of noise across ocean uh, basins. And uh, then there's multiple uh, things that humans are not aware of that we do at sea. There's, of course, shipping. And everyone mm -hmm. is aware of that this is increasing underwater noise. And so we made um, for for this public outreach or uh, educational activities, for instance, uh, a video uh, that is explaining about underwater sound. Uh, we created an animal audiogram database uh, where researchers couldn't look at different hearing curves of animals. Um, we have done a music hackathon, uh, and this mm. music hackathon is created by all sorts of underwater noises uh, collected from different databases and mm -hmm. publicly available. Um, and it was very fun uh, being part of, of these experiences. Then um, we, we have a website, with it, which is in German and is educating about the... Uh, Uh, this this issue, we had a yearly topic at the German Oceanographic Museum, which was called No Noisy Sea, um, mm -hmm. where we had uh, a real-sized orca um, sculpture hanging within the museum, which was tattooed with different noise symbols, um, like uh, a Maori is tattooed with different things that impress him. Uh, mm -hmm. during his lifespan and therefore make an impression on the being of uh, the animal or the human. Um, so there are lots of different activities that we have done and we have also used the ear morphology of penguins uh, for doing outreach activities. So for instance, we have a video within our exhibitions where uh, the middle ear is uh, there outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear are being seen and being uh, are seen as a three-dimensional movie. Uh, it's explaining about uh, the ear morphology, but it also puts it into context of uh, Antarctica uh, mm -hmm. and rather pristine areas in Antarctica, which we see uh, that are probably flooded by human noise in the future too, if we continue to increase, uh, for instance, uh, cruise trips um, towards Antarctica. And when the pressure on uh, the Antarctic pristine uh, ecology is increasing over time. So there's lots of things that we try to, to uh, develop from uh, the different activities within the project. And we think we have done that quite well. And I invite everyone to look at the different websites, at the different activities that we have carried out. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, if you'd like to give us those website links, we can include them in our show notes. Um, Thank you again for taking so, the time to speak with us today. Um, I know I learned more than I thought I could ever know about penguin ears today. I bet our listeners will find your insights as interesting as I did. Thank you very much for inviting me and having the chance to speak. 
Thank you for tuning into Across Acoustics. If you would like to hear more interviews from our authors about their research, please subscribe and find us on your preferred podcast platform.